Want to do better? Then it's time to change the story. Welcome to our show about new visions currently transforming the world through the confluence of art, tech, and innovation. And now your hosts, Michael Ashley and Neil Sahota. All right, welcome to another episode of Changing the Story. We have a phenomenal guest today, Steve Thrall. He is a renewables advocate who's committed to leading the transition to a clean energy world. He is the North American Director of Development for Planet Arc Power, and he leads their global expansion into the North America clean energy market using their game-changing technology, Alexis. Can't wait to learn more, Steve. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks very much. That's, uh, yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for being here, Steve. So as a visionary, what is the story that you want to bring to the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so our team at Planet Arc Power has, has developed a technology called Alexis, and, and so we have created the first 100% two-way electricity grid. Uh, so what this does, it allows us to quickly and cost-effectively decarbonize the electricity sector uh, by enabling us to install rooftop solar on every single rooftop to fully power cities from locally generated clean energy. Wow. I, I, I got to ask, Steve, how did you get started in this? Yeah, so um, it, it's funny because Planet Arc Power is, is an Australian company, and, uh, and I myself am, am Canadian, and so I was getting involved in renewables in, in Canada, and, and then just you know, kind of through the grapevine got connected to Planet Arc Power in Australia, and, and so I went there for, uh, and, and worked with their team in Australia for the last year, and then um, it happened that you know, they were getting ready to, uh, to expand internationally and, and into North America, and, and I was getting ready to, to go home and return back to Canada. And, and so, yeah, here we are. So I'm kind of leading the expansion into North America and, and um, trying to change the world. That's awesome. Well, that's why you're here. So full disclosure, I met Steve at the FIRE conference back in the fall in San Diego, and I heard him speak, and I was just blown away by what they're doing. But for people that don't know Steve, if you could back up just a moment, I know we hear a lot about climate change, and it's just been an issue for, for several decades. Um, uh, I remember reading a book that was very uh, influential to my thinking, and I wonder if you could just set up the problem right now. Why is what you're doing so important? What are we facing as, as a global, global population, as a planet? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I mean you see it um, you see it in the headlines every day, you know, as far as climate change and, and that sort of thing. But, but when it comes to really transitioning to, uh, to renewables, um, rooftop solar is, is one of the cheapest forms of clean energy. Uh, but there's the, kind of a fundamental challenge in that our electricity grids were never designed for, uh, for local renewables. Um, our grids are always designed to have energy flow from centralized power plants and, and to flow in one direction, right, from the power plant uh, through the transmission and distribution network to the end customer. And so what happens when you start adding rooftop solar is you begin to see voltage rise. So if you think of uh, the electricity grid and, and voltage as, as like a water pipe, um, voltage is the pressure. And so as you increase the, uh, the electricity on the grid, uh, the voltage increases. And so the, the fundamentals of, of local rooftop solar is that you're able to export your energy into the grid. Um, you know, you use what your site needs to, and then that ex- excess gets, gets exported, and, and there's an economic benefit in doing that. But, but it also means clean energy for the community. 
And so when you can't export that energy, it really limits the amount of rooftop solar that can be installed. And so that's what we're seeing. Uh, so Australia happened to be one of the first places in the world where, where they ran into the issues of the grid becoming constrained to rooftop solar. And so we call that, it's, it's kind of the, we call it the 15% rule. And that's the really simplistic version of it. But, but fundamentally, it, it means that when the grid gets to around a 15% saturation of rooftop solar, that's where you really begin to see the issues and, and the voltage rising uh, beyond the limits that are, are all of our electronics, whether it's your phone or your fridge or, or your air conditioner can operate in. And so when it gets to that point, um, you simply just, you can't export more solar. The, the utilities um, say that uh, they curtail you and, and your inverters shut down and that's the end of kind of the, the benefit that solar can provide. And so that's really then where we focus. We focused on how can we get more solar into the grid because rooftop solar and, and batteries um, obviously provides such a, such a significant value to, to the transition to clean energy. And so, yeah, that was our starting point and, and um, it's been a long road. We've been, you know, our team has been working on it for, for almost eight years now, um, but we have developed uh, a technology that's able to manage that voltage and allows you to get to 100% um, posting capacity on the grid and, and significantly increases the amount of rooftop solar and batteries that can be installed. That, uh, that's phenomenal. I'm, I'm curious because, you know, I've had some energy utility clients in the past and at least in the U.S., the infrastructure is like 50, 60 years old. Yeah. Become a, you know, big constraint. I mean, how do you work within those confines? Yeah, absolutely. So, so what we're seeing uh, in the U.S. especially is, and it kind of just based on the, the way that the market mechanisms work as far as net metering, um, net energy metering, and, and so what happens is, is when the grid gets constrained, then the utilities have to upgrade the grid. Uh, but it's really, really expensive to do that. And the costs get passed on to, to customers, right? Your electricity, um, your electricity bill goes up. And so, so then what we've been able to do is, is with our tech, um, we, we increase that, that hosting capacity. Uh, so that you can, you don't have to upgrade the distribution grid. There's still plenty of capacity to it if you can manage that voltage. And, and so that's what we've done. And, and so then it allows uh, that rooftop solar to be able to export. Um, and then when you get into the battery side of things, it, uh, it allows those batteries uh, to provide all the grid services that they're capable of um, while maintaining a safe and reliable electricity grid, which is, which is kind of priority number one, as it should be. So you mentioned Australia. Are you guys, did you roll this out in Australia? And if so, what does it look like and what has been the response of people that have begun to use this? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. So, so we are, um, we've absolutely you know, rolled it out in Australia right now. Our, our big flagship project is with IKEA. Uh, so, so we're installing a massive microgrid um, on IKEA location in, in South Australia. And so um, what that looks like is we fill their rooftop with solar uh, and we add um, several big batteries uh, on their site, so like 40-foot containers of, of batteries. And so IKEA will be powered by the solar, so they'll have clean energy. Um, and then the batteries will also are able to provide backup power. Uh, they're able to reduce their peak demand uh, charges. Um, but then the, the exciting part about it is, is that with our technology, because we're then able to export that energy safely, it means those batteries can also provide grid services. 
So they're able to play in the, in the frequency control and ancillary services, wholesale energy markets um, that typically only big generators have been able to uh, provide that value. And so it really changes things that way um, because it means you can utilize all those really big roof spaces like an Ikea or like any warehouse um, to, to install solar and they can use whatever energy they need. Uh, so they're able to see the, the financial benefit of it. Um, but then that extra energy and the extra value from solar and batteries uh, can provide the services to the electricity grid. That that's actually huge, right? I mean, we we actually know that, on, you know, all those white concrete roofs are actually reflecting a lot of heat back into the atmosphere, mm -hmm. and so we can do something like collect it, it's good. But I'm I'm kind of curious because I'm very big about sustainability. We also have a lot of people using like rooftop gardens now, right? And help, you know, again, with the the climate change as well as some, you know, reduce water usage cooling. But is there a competition between solar panels and like rooftop gardens? Can they coexist? I'm kind of curious, right? Because it's it's two things trying to accomplish kind of some similar goals here. Yeah, certainly. The, we, we haven't really ran into any of those challenges, but, but ultimately it's all what, same with the rooftop garden, what it's doing is it's utilizing space that was already there, right? And that's the really exciting part about the rooftop solar is that, is that you already have the roof, but you're not utilizing it for anything other than, you know, hopefully keeping water out. Um, so if you can really utilize it for, uh, for generating energy, then that's, that's fantastic. And so then, so where our um, part of kind of the other side of what our technology enables is that is that it, it creates bankability for these large uh, CNI, commercial industrial uh, projects. And so then it enables investment from, from major institutions. So for instance, this IKEA project is being funded by one of the largest pension funds in Australia. So IKEA is not paying for the installation. They don't have that capital expense of the solar and batteries. Um, the pension fund pays for it all. And IKEA just buys the clean energy um, cheaper than what they can get from the grid. So, so they're happy to do it. They save a lot of money doing it. And, and yet the pension fund is able to, to earn a reasonable return on, on that clean energy that it makes sense for them. And so then, so we're able to then replicate that and, and, um, and have the, the investment from, from big financial institutions uh, to to put this to put clean energy generation on on your roof space and utilize that. Well, it sounds like you definitely have a, a win win there. So, uh, but let's let's take a different tack for a moment here. So, let's imagine that a company like yours does, didn't exist, and this wasn't an option. To Neil's point earlier, we have this sun, this sunlight that's being bounced back into the atmosphere. We know that industry is speeding up. Uh, more and more countries are becoming industrialized. There's more people being born every day, what would happen if we did nothing? Just for people that don't know, what, what can we expect if, if nothing were to occur? I mean, climate change is already, you know, getting away from us. Um, and, and so the, the planet is warming at, at, uh, at a pace that, you know, is, um, is getting out of control. So we need to deal with it and, and decarbonizing the electricity sector is one of the major ways to do that. Obviously, transportation and, and buildings and those sort of things are, are also on the list, but, but starting with the decarbonizing electricity sector is, is huge. And so kind of one of the, um, the big approaches right now is, is you're seeing a lot of solar and wind farms, and that's all, that's fantastic. But the challenge with it is that 
you still need to, you need a really robust transmission network to be able to transport that energy because ultimately it's still just centralized generation. It's just a cleaner version of centralized generation. And so you need to, um, we need to upgrade the transmission network, which takes a long time and is really expensive. Uh, the other side of it is that it's still expensive uh, for the customer because you need to transport that energy, um, which again kind of brings us back to why rooftop solar is such a fantastic solution because it's, you're, you're using existing electricity infrastructure both in the building and we can utilize the, the existing distribution grid and it's our, it's just, you're just putting it on the roof. You don't have to build you know, a ground mount solar system to mount panels or anything like that. So, um, so it's the cheapest form of energy. Um, and then kind of with, with our tech and with the solutions we've created, uh, we're really able to maximize it and, and, um, and power city is using, using local energy. Well, I, uh, I got to call out here, right? Like if I'm living in Seattle, is this a good thing for me? Cause you know, in Seattle, it rains like 300 days out of the year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, good, good question. So, um, so I'll start with kind of Australia. So in Australia, they did some studies and they figured out that, that local, you know, rooftop solar to power up to 200% of Australia's energy needs. Wow. And so, you know, so like you can, you don't need the solar and wind farms. Um, you certainly don't need coal and, and natural gas plants to be able to do that. And, and, but then, you know, we built off that and we found that uh, through much of the world's kind of the sun belt, um, the same, the same um, holds. So, you know, yes, Seattle is a, is a unique spot, um, but, you know, you look at California or you look at New York or you look at, you know, any of these spots where, where you're really seeing solar boom, um, it's because the economics stack up because there's certainly enough sunshine to be doing it. Um, you know, Seattle, Vancouver, Northern Canada, where I am, um, you know, you start to have more challenges with the seasonality. Um, and, and so it's each location will take uh, a unique mix of, of solutions and right. So it's not saying that, that um, utility scale solar and wind shouldn't be used. That's, that's certainly not what, what I'm saying, but um, but rooftop solar can, even in Seattle, provide a huge piece of the generation mix. So along the same lines, right now you're talking about, uh, which is this is an amazing statistic, it's powering 200%. And you're saying that there isn't really a need for wind and, and clearly not coal, uh, some of the, the dirty energy, as it's called. Um, I wonder uh, what you would say to someone who has a job in, let's say, coal right now. Are there job opportunities, uh, employment opportunities, that are occurring out of the innovation that, that you're involved in and let's say secondary uh, things that can occur because you're helping in one way, it might lead to other things downstream. What will the, what could the economic impact be uh, because of, of what you're suggesting? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's funny you ask that because just, um, just two weeks ago now, the university of California, Berkeley just released a report uh, called the, the 2035 plan. And so basically it's saying that, um, that the United States can get to 90% renewables uh, by 2035. Um, and in, in doing so, uh, electricity prices actually will decrease uh, by around 10%, um, you know, massive environmental and, and health benefits. Um, and, and on the kind of on that job front, um, it creates several million jobs. Um, you know, in the, in the range of three to four times more jobs created from, from transitioning to renewables than staying on, on kind of our current path of, 
of relying on fossil fuels. Um, so, you know, again, it's, it's, um, there's a lot of kind of reports that come out like this. And so it's hard to, you know, obviously give a, an exact number for that, but, um, but yeah, the, you know, the, the reports and the statistics coming out are showing that, that transitioning to renewables is, is a good thing. Now, certainly there needs to be, um, there needs to be policy, um, that's set up for communities that are dependent on, on coal and, and gas and, and, um, and that sort of thing, because they're, that's what, you know, that's what their, their economy is built on. Uh, so there does need to be a transition plan, of course. Um, but, but with the right policy and with the right transition plan, you can still have these communities thrive on renewables um, while also creating more jobs along the way. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I think it was Unilever that recently announced that they're planning to have 100% biodegradable products and containers by 2040, I think it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's definitely a lot of companies you know, that I know personally are committed to renewable energy, green energy, sustainability. How is this translating in the solar market? Are, are, are like the Ikeas of the world now coming to you and saying like, we want to do something, what should we do? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what's happening. So uh, what you're seeing is, is a, lot of these, a lot of these major companies that have joined the, uh, the RE100. So, you know, so it started off as kind of a uh, hundred companies that wanted to, that were committing to 100% um, net zero or clean energy. And so I think that's expanded now to it's nearly 250 companies and it's your, you know, it's your Walmarts and Amazons and Apples of the world, Ikeas. Um, and so, yeah, that's exactly what you're seeing. The, the exciting part about it is that not only from kind of that, that corporate sustainability and, and social responsibility standpoint, are they making those decisions, but also from the economic standpoint. So, you know, this, this Ikea project, for instance, the economics stack up on it. They're, they are gaining an economic benefit in, in savings on electricity costs, annual savings on electricity costs by doing this. Well, along the way, um, being, you know, running on clean energy and, and doing their part to, uh, to influence that. And, and so they're, I think one thing that they're really excited about is, um, is their ability to then showcase this microgrid project and, and use their influence um, as you know a major global organization to um, to change. So we've been talking a lot about economics, and of course that's extremely important. But I wonder if you could bring up some of the other benefits that may occur because we are switching to a more clean energy. I mean, clearly this must be things like health, uh, ability to do things that might not be possible because of our certain, our, our current system. What are some of the, um, the tangential benefits relating to this that aren't uh, economic? Yeah, certainly. Well, so again, kind of just referencing this 2035 report because it, it's just so fresh and, and just came out. So, um, so they had calculated, so in the U S um, to transition to this 90% clean energy by 2035, uh, they had they had determined that there'd be you know over 1.3 trillion dollars, I believe the figure was, in environmental and health savings, um, and so uh, and that was that was 85,000 lives saved and all sorts of stuff just from having uh, from reducing our greenhouse gas emissions and, and having a cleaner planet. Um, and, but then the kind of the other side of it, more the technology based side of it. And, and this is really then, um, what our Alex, Alexis technology enables is it builds the foundation and the platform for a lot of the other really exciting, uh, clean energy technologies that, um, that you hear a lot about. So, you know, virtual power plants, which is 
fundamentally what this IKEA project is um, by able to provide value to IKEA, but also to the grid. Um, or you get into, you know, vehicle to grid charging or, you know, transactive energy markets with peer-to-peer -peer trading and that sort of thing. None of that is really possible if you don't have a true two-way uh, electricity grid to, to be able to move that clean energy around. And, and so, you know, you can do it a little bit, um, but you'll hit that 15% kind of 15% rule congestion point and, and then it's not possible anymore. And, and that was a lesson that, that Australia uh, learned in the last few years is, is they tried to do a virtual power plant program and realized, whoa, we can't actually dispatch the energy when we want to because the grid's congested. And, and so, so that's kind of some of the, um, you know, it ends up sort of being the buzzwords that you hear as far as vehicle to grid or peer to peer trading and blockchain and that sort of thing. Um, and, but it's really technologies like Alexis that are gonna make that possible. Well, I'm kind of curious, right? So there's a big, obviously a big push. I think the UN published a report saying that if we don't start reducing carbon emissions and some of these other things by 2030, by 2036, we're at a point of no return, right? So it's not really an option anymore. Let's pretend it is 2036. Where do you, where do you think we'll be at? What, what, what do you vision or see as a vision at that point? Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully we're at we're at one hundred percent clean energy, of course. Um, but but realistically, the way that um, the way that solar costs, energy storage costs have have fallen, uh, it's it's very possible, right? The coal plants aren't economic anymore. Um, you know, again, to hate to go back to the economics, but that's what really you know drives a lot of this this major change. And so as these uh, the technology continues to evolve, especially so in the energy storage side of thing, things with longer duration energy storage. Um, you know, so for a place like Seattle or, or in Canada or where there's more seasonality, um, being able to, to work your way through those, those seasonal differences um, in sunlight hours and that sort of thing to, um, to really be able to rely on clean energy to power your grid. Um, that's the sort of technology that's continuing to develop um, but is really crucial to, uh, to getting us to 100%. And, and that was why that 2035 report went, focused on 90%, because uh, we, they can get to, you know, we're able to get to 90%, um, not easily, but, you know, it's definitely achievable. It's that last 10% that there's still um, innovation that, that is needed to be able to, to make sure that we have electricity at all hours of the day um, coming from 100% clean energy. That's fantastic, and you're doing great work. How can people become more aware of what you're doing and learn about it and, and get in touch with you? Yeah, certainly, yeah. So, um, I mean, probably the best way to, to get in touch is, is our website, so planetarcpower.com. Um, you can also reach out to me directly, steve at planetarcpower.com. Um, you know, certainly on, uh, on all of our social media, which is all Planet Arc Power, Twitter, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, um, you know, you'll find some really, our team has done some really good videos to help explain this. It's really complex um, and, uh, you know, grid engineering. And, and so, uh, but they've done a really good job of, of bringing it into layman's terms and, and simplifying it to, to understand uh, the challenges and, and part of the solution that we've brought to the table. Well, awesome. This has been a great conversation. Thank you for helping us try to make a better world, Steve. Yes. Thank you to both of you. Thanks so much. 
Hey, if you like today's show, please remember to hit the like button and leave a comment. If you've been enjoying the Changing the Story podcast series, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you.